So take your Bibles, stand with me, go to 1 Thessalonians 5, <laughs> verses 1 through 18, okay? 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 18. Now, the first um, nine verses, basically, nine or ten verses, are to give you the context, okay? We're not really going to focus a lot on those first nine verses, but it gives you the context. And I like to read Scripture in context, particularly um, in this situation. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. Paul is telling the Thessalonians. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So just like today, there were people in that day that were, they had an overemphasis on the timing of when Christ was coming back. And they were trying to figure it out, dates and times. And Paul says, it's not up to you to figure that out. You'll know the season. Only, only, only the Father knows the time. And, 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 you know, just know that he will come like a thief in the night. Verse 4, but you, brothers and sisters, you're not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us awake. Let us be awake and sober. Now, I will say this. We as Christians, we're not unaware of what's going on in the world. We're not unaware of biblical prophecy. We know that these times that we're going through right now, in some cases, have been prophesied scripturally about the love of many will wax cold. People, you know, and, and violence will increase. And in the last days, perilous times will come. People will be lovers of themselves. So we know we're living through some of that right now. And so the Bible says, you're, you're people of the light. You're children of the light. This stuff shouldn't catch you by surprise. Don't, don't be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Now notice verse 14. Therefore, that's why I read everything. Therefore, because of what he just said, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing now we ask you brothers and sisters to acknowledge those who work hard among you who care for you in the lord and who admonish you hold them in highest regard in love because of their work live in peace with each other and we urge you brothers and sisters warn those who are idle and disruptive Notice again, here's that word. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I will admit, there is so much theology in these first 18 verses. It would take me hours and hours to lay it all out for you. 
But I wanted to read to you the larger context, and we're going to focus more on verses 14 through 16 and 17, basically, and, and focus in on that. But people need encouragement. They need to be encouraged. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to walk with a spirit of thanksgiving and to be conscious or aware of the deep need for encouragement, not just to each other as Christians, but to our lost world. Help us to be the salt and the light of the, of the earth to those who need Christ. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Let's jump right into it. <clears throat> Five things I want to talk to you about encouragement in this passage. Number one, encouragement. It builds up rather than tearing down. To encourage means to uplift. It builds up rather than tearing down. In verse 14, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. So what Paul saw in the Thessalonians, he, in, he challenged them to be in a spirit of encouragement toward one another, and he recognized they, all, they were already doing some of that. And so what I want to do today is I just want us to see for a moment the importance of building people up, the importance of encouragement. Because let's just be real honest here. It doesn't take someone very smart to point out the faults of everybody in here. Right? It doesn't. As a matter of fact, we have millions of experts in this country who can point those things out to us. You know, it's amazing. It always coached, it always, it always concerned me when I saw some coaches coaching on just the negative. Meaning, correction. And that's good. You gotta do it. You gotta correct the bad technique. You gotta correct, you know, the the the, the bad play, whatever it might be. You've gotta you've gotta correct them and you've got to coach them. But what I always thought about great coaches do more than just correct. They also recognize when you do it right and they encourage you. And you often hear stuff like, boy, that's what I'm talking about. That's the way you ought to do it. And coaching, that's what coaching is. True good coaching is encouraging. It's not just pointing out the negative because anybody can do that. It takes no gift. It takes no heart. It takes no ability to point out everybody's negatives. As a matter of fact, I call that the unspiritual gift of criticism. Anybody can do it. But true biblical encouragement builds people up rather than tearing down. It looks for not so much the positive, but it looks for what God has created in you that he can use. And it fuels that, and we'll talk about that here in just a moment. But it says here in verse 11, I encourage you to, to, I mean, therefore encourage one another and build each other up. The world is invested in tearing us down. You know, we've got something right now called the cancel culture. 
And they love going through social media looking for anything that they can find that anybody has ever said that when they may have said it may have been okay culturally, but all of a sudden now it's become taboo in the culture. And so therefore, because you said something years ago or you believed something years ago, but but maybe you've changed since then, but you've got to be canceled from society, that you're a bad person, you're a horrible person. That's what this world is doing. And we have an opportunity right now as Christians to come into that vacuum where the culture is saying, you're, you're horrible, you're nothing, we want to throw you away, get out of society, you don't belong here. And that's where Christians can come in with the light of the gospel and say, whoa, hold up, let me tell you something, you're not trash, God has a plan for your life, and if you'll follow him and live for him, God will do amazing things for you like the song in the blessing talked about. People are looking to be built up, and they need that rather than tearing down. Encouragement. Number two, encouragement. It energizes those in spiritual leadership. Now, it's more than just spiritual leadership, but I only have so much space here. That's, it, it energizes those in spiritual leadership. It says in verse 12, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Now, <clears throat> it's talking about some of the heavy lifters spiritually. Now, not all heavy lifters look the same. Not all of them are the preachers or the singers or what have you. A lot of times they're the people clean the kitchen and in the nursery and in children's church. And they do it day in and day out, week in and week out, without any fanfare. And they serve and they work and they do the hard work and they do it behind the scenes and nobody ever knows that they've done it unless they're there. And the Bible says here to acknowledge those who work hard among you and care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in highest, in the highest regard in love because of their work. You know, one time we were recognizing someone in our church for doing something and I had some pushback on that from somebody saying, well, what, are we glorifying God or are we glorifying people? And I said, we're, we're glorifying God. We're not glorifying people, but we're acknowledging that God is working through that person in extraordinary ways, and that's scriptural. There's nothing wrong with that. And it energizes those in spiritual leadership. You don't believe me? Look at what Hebrews 13, 17 says, talking about pastors who, who are who are overseers, and it says here, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their leadership or their authority because, listen, they keep watch over you, and in some versions it says they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Those of us who are in spiritual leadership don't do it because we get joy out of that. We do it because we have to give an account. We've been, we have a stricter judgment. The Bible says teachers will be judged for what they say and how they apply what they're telling other people, you know, how they apply it in their, into their life. And he says they keep watch out for, you, for those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. It energizes leadership. It energizes. You want to know why I'm so fired up on Sunday mornings? Because I have a church full of encouraging people that are encouraging me. 
And it gives me some energy. It hasn't always been that way. But it's been that way for years now. And I can't tell you, it's, it's like the lifeblood of, 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 of leadership and, and, and servanthood when you know that people are encouraging you, sort of like the geese. You know the story of the geese. Did I tell that illustration in here last week? I think I told it somewhere. I don't remember if I told it in my Sunday school class or if I told it in here. If I told it in here, we'll all listen to it again. Okay. Do you ever see geese flying in V formation? Now, when I lived in central Louisiana, south central Louisiana, they'd come by the millions over your house. And years ago, uh, I was in the front yard here, and I, I haven't heard them much here in Florida, but they'd fly over you. I mean, this would happen for weeks and weeks and weeks, and you hear, you just hear that all day long, and you look up, and there are V formations everywhere going and coming and moving and going into the rice fields there in South Louisiana. So one day I was in the front yard doing some yard work, and I, I could hear this, and I, so I heard it for about a week. And I kept looking up in the sky thinking it was a goose. It was actually my oldest daughter practicing her clarinet. But, um, yeah, it was. That's how it sounded to me. Hey, at least she was trying. And she could play it eventually, but, but anyway, the geese fly in a V formation. And if you notice, what they do is they take turns. And the one that's, that's at the front catching the wind and breaking the wind and all of that, after a while, it, it leaves the front line, goes to the back, got to rest for a little bit. And, you know, it's flying on the air, on the draft of, of the others. And, and then somebody else takes the leadership for a little while. And all the other geese, all that racket you hear is them encouraging each other honking at each other, telling the ones in front of them, you can do it, you can do it. One of the reasons they're doing that is because, like, I'm tired of leading for right now. You keep doing it, man. I'm enjoying flying, you know, and catching your wind back here. You know. And then they keep, they keep on doing it, and they, they encourage each other as they go forward. You know, hopefully we're smarter than geese, and we can learn a lesson from them. Encouragement, I heard Johnny Hunt say it like this, encouragement fuels enthusiasm it literally fuels it especially for those who are in leadership and that's what the bible says and let me give you a third thing encouragement it creates an environment of peace and patience within the church it does it creates an environment of peace and patience within the church verse 14 says and we urge you brothers and sisters now, warn those who are idle and disruptive, and I'm not spending a whole lot of time on that, on that phrase there, but we're to do that. That's part of our, our ministry. Those who are idle and disruptive, who aren't serving, who are not being encouraging, they, they need to be reminded that they're in sin. They're not doing the right thing. But he says here, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other. It creates an environment of peace and patience with each other. You know when you don't have patience with somebody? is when you're overly critical of them. 
first time they do something that you don't like, boy, they're on your bad side. And I'll tell you something else that we as Christians should never participate in, and it's this. Some Christians get in their mind that they don't like somebody because of the way that person is. And they think they're justified not to like that person because they don't like that person's personality or the way that person is. And then they build their entire relationship with that person off of that and it's all about criticism and they can never see the good that that person does because they're stuck on that thing they got stuck on to start with encouragement cancels out that stuff and it creates an environment where people can get along it creates an environment where we're patient with each other. <clears throat> I did a podcast with a pastor who, uh, being um, uh, financed by the Florida Baptist Convention to do these pastor-to-pastor podcasts, and he's done it twice with me. He wants to come back and do a third one. And uh, he asked me a question. How in the world have you been able to stay somewhere 26 years? And I said, the patience of God's people. They were patient with me. That's how it got me to where I, 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 I didn't get to 26 years because I'm some kind of great guy. It's because we have a church full of patient people who are patient enough to grow. I'm telling you, I'll never forget what Miss Carolyn Denny told me years ago in 1998 when we had an issue in our church and, and the issue Left, if you will. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, and, and I was stuck on it for months, and I couldn't get past it. I blamed myself and on and on. And one day she came down here, and she grabbed me by the hand, and she lifted my hands up, and she was, so, I, she said, I don't want to pray for you, but she, she wasn't praying for me. She was, like, rebuking me. And she put my hands up, and she goes, we need you to lead us. Pray, God, God please give Corey what he needs to lead us. Because we believe in him and we're behind him and, and we want him to lead us to green pastures. And I was stuck in the past dealing with stuff that I couldn't fix. And that gave me unbelievable fuel to move forward. If it wouldn't have been for that encouragement right there. Well, it was actually a little closer here because the stage is different. But it's somewhere right around here. I was at a point where I wanted to quit. I wanted to give up. I didn't want to be in the ministry anymore. It's too hard. It's too complicated. I felt too insignificant, like I didn't know what I was doing, and I still don't know what I'm doing, but he knows what he's doing. And that encouragement created an environment of peace and patience within my spirit. People were being patient with me. So therefore, I grew to be patient with them. Encouragement. Number four, it helps those who are discouraged. You might think, duh. I'm not saying, look, it's right here in the scripture. It says encourage the disheartened. Encourage those who are discouraged. Do you realize that people live in a constant state of discouragement? Do you realize that some folks have a serious medical issue? They have severe depression, and there's room for that in Christianity. 
Don't talk to me about, about saying, well, you know, if you're not trusting God, well, let's say when you have pain, you broke your arm, trust God. Then don't take pain medicine. Don't go see a doctor. Don't go get it fixed. No. When it's a mental issue and people are on medication, some people have to be on medication. But then there are others who go through momentary times of depression, and it's really what we call discouragement. And what they need, the medicine they need, is for a brother or sister to come alongside of them and believe in them. Say, I believe in you. I love you. I believe in what you can be. I believe in who you are now, but even more so, what you can be. And it helps those who are disheartened. You know, the Bible says that we're to continue doing the work that we do so that we don't lose heart. We will reap a harvest if we do not lose heart. These are the disheartened people. We don't have to go out into the world to look for disheartened people. They're sitting all over the place in here. There's some of you, you're, you're, you don't know if you're going to have a job in a few weeks or a few months because your company has mandated you to put a chemical in your body that you personally don't feel like you need to. As a matter of fact, some of you have more antibodies built up because you already had COVID and, and you're in good shape. And nobody wants to talk about that science. And you're discouraged. encourage gives instant relief to those who are discouraged. And a lot of times you don't even know who those people are. That way if you're living in a spirit of encouragement and you're strengthening people and you're lifting them up, they can be as discouraged as can be and you don't even know it, but what you did for them just helped them. And number five, let me tell you why encouragement is good. Because it is good for others. Look at what the Bible says here. The end of verse 15. It says, well, all of verse 15. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always strive, always strive to do what is good. Notice what he says here. For each other and for everyone else. Each other and everyone else. Be an encourager is a good thing. That's not very profound. Well, the Bible says this, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. There's a lot of good we know we should do and we don't do it, and therefore it becomes sin, the sin of omission. Encouragement is good for others. Now, I wish I had the time today to go, <laughs> we say we preach verse by verse, to go person by person, because I have a personal relationship with everybody here in one way or another, and to tell you the things in your life that encourage me. I hope that over time, through our, you know, fellowship, that you understand that I love you and respect you and that 
I'm encouraged by the things that you do, and hopefully I can encourage you. So I could, I could tell all kinds, of, uh, all kinds of people. But we had a visitor. I don't, if, you vis- if you visit our church more than two Sundays, I don't consider you a visitor anymore. You're just part of it, okay? But we have a, a young man that's been visiting here for, for a little bit, and um, he gave me a gift one Wednesday night, a loaf of bread. And there was a lot going on, but he, I, I remember him saying one day, he had it in a Ziploc bag, homemade loaf of bread, and he said, he said, he said, put it in the fridge. I never put bread in the fridge before. So if he told me to put it in the fridge, I said I would do it. So I did it. Well, I don't know about your fridge, but stuff goes there to get lost. And last night, man, I don't know, I just, I, w- I wanted to eat something. And you know what, it, what it's like? You got food all over the place, but no, no, no. You, don't, you, you can't quite tell what it is you want until you see it or smell it. And I'm looking through a fridge, and all of a sudden I come across the bread, and I went, oh, my gosh, this man gave me this bread. He made it for me, and I didn't even eat it. Listen, brother, I want you to know his name is Ryan. He's sitting back there. I took that bread out, and I cut it, and I put it in the microwave, and I put some thick country spread butter in it. And I fixed me three pieces of that bread. Took up the whole plate. I heated it up. And I ate it. And when I got to the third piece, I was shoving that thing down my mouth. It was so good. I went back and I cut me three more pieces. And I heated them up. And I put butter on them. And I ate all three pieces. And I carefully put what was left of the bread, which wasn't much. Put it in a Ziploc bag and said, you wait for me tomorrow. I'm coming after church for you. Tomorrow afternoon, I'm going to put not just butter, but I'm going to put cane syrup on you. And we're going to have us a time. And as I was eating that bread, I thought of my brother Ryan, who gave that to me and, and said, Lord, whatever he's doing tonight, may you bless him. Thank you, Father, for this wonderfully made homemade bread that I get to eat. Now, it's not his fault that I was a glutton tonight. (laughs) But this stuff is so good. And here was somebody who gave me a piece of bread, gave me a bread, a loaf of bread. And it encouraged me greatly last night in more ways than one. It's good for others when you encourage them. The unfortunate thing is that too many of our brothers and sisters are going through life and they never get to hear, boy. They never get to hear, sister, you're a blessing. They never get to hear, you don't know this but you've been an encouragement to me in this way. And by you saying that to them, thereby you're encouraging them. And I just thought about it. I am the recipient. Because though Jesus is the true shepherd of the church, he's the chief shepherd, 
I am his shepherd under him. And so in essence, in a way, I'm the face of this local congregation. And so I get a lot of blessings that come my way from a lot of people. But I started wondering, what about the average person in our church? Do they get that? Does anybody ever do nice things to them? Does anybody ever say, may God use you to help someone? That's what I want to do today. I want to do something today that I very seldom have done. Probably had been 10, 15 years since I've ever asked our congregation to do it. But I'm going to be bold and I'm going to ask you to do something in just a moment. I'm going to ask everybody in this place. You can go ahead, Richard. Everybody in this place to make a move during the invitation. Now, you know me. I don't, I don't believe in manipulation. I don't believe in any of that stuff. I believe in letting God work. We don't, we don't string out invitations every Sunday to get some emotional decision. We, I don't believe in that. But I do believe that there are times that we need to step up to the plate. And I believe it's my responsibility as your shepherd and as your pastor to encourage you to encourage others. And so in, a, in just a moment, I'm going to have, have you stand. And we're going to start our invitation and we're going to sing. And here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to start thinking about it now. Is there somebody in this building that has done something for you at some point? You may have already thanked them, but maybe they need a word of encouragement. Has, is there anybody in this building, maybe they haven't ever done anything for you, but God is telling you to go give them a word of encouragement. Now, don't start off like this. Now, look, I want you to know I didn't like you at first. They don't need to know that. Pastor, I just want you to know, people came to me today, three of them, and said they didn't like me to begin with, but they told me all kinds of nice things after, but all I can get in my mind is, what did I do to make them not like me? And then I, no. Maybe what you need to do is go to that person. Somebody, maybe you're, you're not, they're not in your circle, you don't do a lot with, but you know they serve. And they serve quietly behind the scenes. They need a word of encouragement. They do. Or maybe it's somebody, you've just seen a, a husband taking care of his wife while she was sick and it ministered to you just by seeing that faithfulness lived out. And maybe you just want them to know that. Or maybe when you were coming to park in a spot and someone else was there first and they let you park in that spot. And that was an encouragement to you. Or maybe you sat in their seat and rather than them saying, hey, get out of my spot, that's my spot. No, 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 you can sit there, it's fine. And that maybe that might be all the encouragement you needed. Well, I'm just not that kind of person, Brother Tori. I'm just not a person of words. I get that. I understand that. But there are times that words need to be spoken. 
and they need to be filled. And far too often, the only time that words are spoken are bad words between people. Let me tell you one other thing, too. I'm a firm believer that people should be able to go to their funeral before they die. I really believe that. I think a few years ago, somebody did, y'all did a celebration for me and all of that for so many years being pastor here and all of that. And I'm like, it's like going to my funeral, I said. Pretty, pretty good deal here. Everybody ought to have that. And maybe, you know, instead of going to their funeral one day and said, you know, so-and-so, man, they did this for me and it really meant so much to me. I never got a chance to tell them. Take the opportunity and start right here at the church family. People need encouragement. And encouragement fuels enthusiasm, faithfulness, obedience. It fuels keeping on and keeping on and keeping on. It really does. Would you stand with me this morning? I'll be standing here in case any of you want to come and say, man, I, I, want, to, I want a little bit about this, know a little bit more about having a relationship with Christ. Boy, you'll really learn what encouragement's all about. Come on, church, let's not let this opportunity go by. Encourage people today. Let them know, tell them about it. Maybe you need to go across the aisle, across the building. Maybe you can just... Talk to the person right next to you. You might start with your own family. That's a good point. That's a good point, brother. It may not be in the building. It may not be here today. So take it with you wherever you go. And take that spirit of encouragement. Matter of fact, I'll say about Walker, he showed up yesterday. If you notice the hallway... All got painted. It's hard to tell the difference because it used to be coffee color, and now it's gray. It matches the fellowship hall. Did it all all day yesterday. Took the whole day and did it. Did a great job. We're preparing for our carpet to be changed. A lot of people are going to put in a lot of work in that. Thank you. You're a blessing. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we'd be obedient to you today and we just wouldn't stay in our spot and not encourage the person you're telling us to do that. A kind word. A word that might lift them from despair and dis disheartenment to a place of encouragement today. And I pray it in Jesus' name as our worship team leads us. And if there's somebody on the worship team, you need to say that too. It's okay. You go and do it. <laughs>